Hey, hey, back again for another episode of the Hood Health Report. It's your girl KV. And Celine. And today we are going to talk about environmental disasters. Lately in the news, and even as late as today, Celine informed me, there have been so many environmental disasters as far as train derailments that emit all of these different chemicals and hazardous materials and other things, power plant accidents that just really puts the environment at risk as well as the community. So today we're going to dive into some of those. So the first environmental disaster that we want to talk about is an Ohio train derailment that happened last month. So the article we're going to jump into from the Washington Post, before Ohio derailment, Norfolk Southern lobbied against safety rules. So this article was really crazy to me because, you know, how like karma came quick, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you were just saying, oh, we don't need all these new safety regulations and boom. The article that we covered this week was the Ohio Sioux Norfolk Southern over East Palestine train derailment. It's covered by the Washington Post. And what I found very interesting about this article is that it was a 58 count lawsuit that was filed against them. And it's for damages that go up to $75,000. Um, this is going to affect the air, the water and the soil. A lot of residents are talking about it and they are just wondering how safe it is to drink the water and also breathe the air because soon after the this explosion or thing happened, uh, the derailment of the train happened, the city town basically said <laughs> that they uh, were good to drink the water, they're good to breathe, but it was like a huge thing because I'm not sure if y'all have seen the picture, but there was a huge picture going around. Maybe we can insert the picture, but um, it was like, it was like a um, explosion. Like it looked fake. Like that's, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, it didn't even look like it was like real life happening in the United States, but yes, it was uh, like, it looked like an explosion. Like like out of a like a movie almost almost that's how I would describe it and then um the people who work there and live in the area blame the derailment uh on basically on like you know the railroad company because a lot of the stuff dealing with the railroad company isn't updated so a lot of these uh the ways that the railroad is set up hasn't been updated since like the 1800s it's the same exact system that they've had for so long um what i did find also interesting about the article is that the norfolk southern ceo he apologized and he seems to be very understanding and willing to provide financial support and he's already aided 21 million dollars to clean up the efforts but i'm like well of course you're gonna aid all that money because it's, it's a noticeable thing. Like if you look up the pictures, you're gonna see that this is gonna cause some kind of commotion. People are gonna be affected by it. Um, yeah. A lot of people were displaced from their homes. Mm -hmm. So there has to be money to give to those people as far as whether they're renting another house, renting an apartment, having to get hotels, as far as the environment goes, cleaning up or rebuilding certain things. It's a lot of money that goes into the cleanup of something like this. And after the February 3rd train derailment, three days later, they had to release a, a toxic plume of chemicals that they used to avoid potential major explosion. Mm -hmm. And the clouds traveled as far as neighboring Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So that was another major concern for the residents because, <clears throat> because we're not sure what's in all of these chemicals. You know, yeah, these chemicals that you're adding on later is gonna prevent a fire, but does it cause something else? Does that mean it's 
safe to breed. So I can definitely see why they would be getting sued because you, you know, these things should be taken care of. The, the residents of these communities should not have to face something of this nature. Which brings us to the next article, before the Ohio derailment, Norfolk Southern lobbied against safety rules. Mm -hmm. So there was a meeting that took place where the government wanted certain things in place as far as um, a minimum of two to three people to, what's the word, I guess be a conductor on the train because they would need multiple people to stop throughout the train for it not to become an accident of this proportion. So two to three conductors on a train would prevent a collision of this magnitude because they would be able to stop the different cars before they all crash into each other. So if it's 149 cars per train, I would think that at least for every 50, 50. cars, honestly, yeah. there should be a conductor to stop that train. So the first 50 cars get destroyed, hazardous materials, the next 100 don't have to go up in flames as well. So crazy enough, of course, as with most things that we're dealing with these days, Obama administration had set forth a lot of regulations that put in these minimums and required some different um, safety regulations such as auto stop brakes on the train rails and the Trump administration rolled everything back and took everything back. So now the Biden administration is fighting to get all of these regulations and rules back into place. And this article was very critical of the industry, the railroad industry, because it talks itself to be, you know, a safer alternative than, mm -hmm. you know, trucks on the highway emitting all these gases and things of that nature. But then if we have derailments of this magnitude as often as we're having them, I feel like we would rather just have the trucks on the road emitting, you know, the poison that we're used to. Yeah, but that's the truth of it. That's a very shocking number. Like you, because I think they said they they had many more trains, but they cut it all the way back to a few, and so it was covering millions more miles a year a decade ago. And to still have higher numbers than that, it was pretty shocking. So that's why they want to get this new technology in there to ensure that all of the cars can stop at the same time, or if there is um sensors sensors on the tracks to notate when they're overheating they also mentioned that norfolk southern had laid off like five or six people and those people were track maintenance people so they were the people that were in charge of reading those alerts when the overheating happened or if something happened if there was any type of danger on the trails they were the ones to read those signals and the article pointed to the fact that overheating could very well be why mm -hmm. the reason this this happened, why this derailment happened. So I could definitely see why the people of this town are suing because, yeah, that's a direct conflict of those actions and they should have to pay. People probably, you know, we never see the fallout of this until years to come yeah. because we don't know what that air quality is going to be like. We have to, you know, Wait. conduct studies mm -hmm. in five to six years mm -hmm. to see if those children that grew up in this area still have the same levels of whatever toxins have been emitted as people in neighboring towns who may not have been affected so that's the only real way we'll know and like i said it'll probably be 
at least a decade before mm -hmm. we really get into it. So they definitely use that to their advantage as well because if there's no immediate effect, if there's no immediate fallout, you don't, you know, your your water's not red or yellow. Yeah. You know, you don't see the danger. So after a while, you might just forget and believe what they said that you know there's oh, it's no fine. danger. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, oh, you're good. It's fine. Oh yeah, nothing. But then you know you start to see that everybody in this town has asthma, or mm -hmm. everybody in this town is getting ulcers or some type of respiratory illnesses. So it's definitely something to be aware of. Yeah. A lot of people are concerned about their health problems, about their animals, and then the property devaluation as well. So Yeah, I did see that. Mm -hmm. The property devaluation is, is a major one. And they mm -hmm. say they saw like animal deaths. Like yeah, they, they, animal they have deaths. seen animal deaths. So that's um, something that is concerning them because those are like immediate things that are going to happen in the next couple of years, weeks, months, you know. So I think that is something that is going to affect people, especially if you're in the area. And then they also said that it's like a small, more of a small town. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a major city, but at the same time, time the, the town itself, it's going to see like a whole bunch of, you know, fallout for, from this derailment. Switching gears a bit. We're gonna talk about the Montana mining town incident. Some people in this Montana mining town are worried about the dust. Additional studies indicate that potential problems such as elevated levels of metals, including aluminum and copper, copper are in the area and traces of arsenic and lead are in the ground and they want more testing done. Um, the recorded emissions meet the federal standards. However, the population levels exceed public health safety from the World Health Organization, also known as WHO. So the EPA's maximum annual average for the finest particles in this concentration are micrograms per cubic meter. And the WHO's limit is five. So for EPA, they're saying 12 is the number, but WHO is saying five. And with that big difference, it's allowing the Montana mining companies to be able to pass through the federal government and say that their standards are below what they should be. However, these high levels being at 12 instead of being at five can cause a lot more copper and aluminum to be in the air and also traces of arsenic and lead and they're not even doing anything about it because they're saying that it's still underneath the federal standards. The manager for the environmental affairs for Montana Resources says that the company goes beyond what's required to mitigate dust. So basically what's going on is the mining company is set up right outside of the town. However, since there is wind, the dust particles do travel to the town. So they get they get like a byproduct basically of, you know, the dust being carried from place to place. And he's saying that they're doing everything they can to mitigate the dust from coming into the town. However, this they don't feel like, the town doesn't feel like that's enough that's being done. They feel like there should be more being done to keep the levels from even, meet, reach, bleh, from even reaching those levels that they are currently reaching. So one major report from this article was that one of the residents of the town had actually had her child's lead levels tested mm -hmm. and that they, they did show that her lead levels were elevated. Now that could be from a lot of different factors, but it also could be from the Montana mining town. So she mentioned that she hadn't got the exact results back yet. 
so you know that's kind of still out there but i'm sure it'll definitely be a push for you know um research studies to be done in this town since i think they said it was a century's worth of mining was done mm -hmm. in this town so if there is some type of pollution and things to be there i think now would be the time to really read those thing i can think of that the article um covered was if somebody else had a different opinion about it they also were like i don't think anything should be be tested just because this is how we make our money like this is a small town most people that are there are there to mine or their families have been there to mine so if you go in trying to change regulations as far as the federal uh, standards and stuff of that nature then you're going to be affecting people's livelihoods and i think that was a good argument but at the end of the day is it is it worth it at the end of the day because you're saying you're doing this for your livelihood however your livelihood is mostly affected by your health so and it's it can affect them in ways that's not you know immediately evident, mm -hmm. so they don't even understand the dangers that they might be in but yeah it did have that piece of this article where they mentioned that people take pride in their mm -hmm. town and take pride in being this mining town because they produce as much as a third of the world's copper supply mm -hmm. so that's something to be proud of but you know at what expense oh, yeah you know exactly so you're you're known for this thing and this is how you know your family can typically make their money and and do well in the town but is it you know affecting you health-wise in a bad way yeah the long run the longevity of it yeah like like in the last article it's a lot about you know the children seeing mm -hmm. how the children are taking in some of these chemicals, getting their levels tested, if they're suddenly developing asthma or mm -hmm. other respiratory illnesses, these these could be the reasons why. If they start to have like um, rashes or things of that nature from exposures, you just never really know what could happen. So it's, it's like I said, it's one of those things you gotta keep your eye on. Mm -hmm. And speaking of kids, this next article, kids want to put Montana on trial for unhealthy climate policies. So in this article, it mentions how the kids in the Montana town, they're, they're worried about their future. There was a flood that happened that washed away a lot of the park, a lot of the bridges, it ravaged the roads, and their use of fossil fuels in the town, it, it, it puts, puts the town at risk. And so, their lawsuit asserts that Montana, by fostering fossil fuel as its primary energy resource, is contributing to a deteriorating climate and violating the children's right to a clean and healthy environment guaranteed by the state's constitution. By doing so, the lawsuit alleges by doing so, the lawsuit alleges Montana is interfering with the children's health and safety and happiness. So, they mentioned that. Um, some other kids in the towns, like there's this, this organization, our Children's Trust, that goes forward and, and files these type of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been much luck in the past because they use the fact that there's no immediate danger mm -hmm. or no immediate threat to their advantage. So if the kids can't immediately point to something and say, this creek has green slime because of the mining town and we're getting water from here you know so there's no immediate thing that we can point to and say this is our danger they can skate around it or put it off for some time mm -hmm. so 
they've been back and forth with this lawsuit a bit but it wasn't totally um what's the word what's the word like pushed against um it wasn't totally dropped some of the cases could still be valid and tried in court and i think it said june of this year mm -hmm. it'll be going to the supreme court to see about if they can really sue the town about their futures and the environment there um no because you kind of hit on everything that i would have mentioned about it the only other thing that i felt felt like was interesting was when they were filing the lawsuit mm -hmm. that they made sure they included the children because this is a different like the way they could go about it is since it's affecting kids it's totally different so i know they're hoping if this goes well that they will be able to use the same kind mm -hmm. of structure to file other lawsuits in other cities that also have um things that are environmental dangers that are caused and that affect kids. So it'll be interesting once it goes to trial to see how far it goes, if they're able to do anything. The other thing that the article mentioned was that, um, like you said, not pushback, but they, they keep on saying that they need more time. So like they're able to push it off and get more time. So I think they started like um, earlier in 2021 and they haven't got much accomplished since 2023. And here's a direct quote, like what I mm -hmm. just mentioned. Our constitution does not require that dead fish float on the surface of our state's rivers and streams before its far-sighted environmental protections can be invoked. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, we shouldn't wait till the rivers are filled with slime or, you know, the fish are dead. there's a spill that goes into the river. We shouldn't wait for these things to happen. We should work to prevent them from happening. Be proactive. Being proactive. So that's, that's why the kids are suing this town because they can foresee, you know, what is to come for their environment. All right. This next article, cleanup of radioactive water leak ongoing at Minnesota nuclear plant. So if there was a potentially hazardous power plant leak in your community, would you want to know right away or would you, you know, want them to flesh out the risk first and then tell you? Y'all need to tell me today, right now, as soon as y'all find out, let me know. Yeah, some people feel that way. Some people feel that, you know, oh, well, let's not excite the public and get people all up in arms. Let's just wait to see what will happen. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? <laughs> Something waiting bad for? to happen. Yeah. That's exactly what I was about to get at. Are we waiting for the children to come out with three ears? Mm -hmm. Like, what exactly do they want to happen before they take these measures? So, this nuclear plant leak included 400,000 gallons of radioactive liquid. Mm -hmm. And they say it didn't quite reach the Mississippi River, but the town that it got to was about 30 miles out from the Mississippi River. So, I mean, if you know anything about soil and dirt, it absorbs. <laughs> so who's to say that this chemical spill didn't reach the river in some way? Mm -hmm. So Excel Energy is the company that runs the plant and they claim that the leak had been fully contained. But the article later goes on to say that roughly one quarter of the spill, this, blah, blah, blah. But the article later goes on to say that roughly one quarter of the spilled tritium has been recovered so far. So if it's only one quarter that's been recovered, mm -hmm. where, where's the rest of it? Where is the rest of it? Mm -hmm. 
where is the rest of it? And like, I guess we should watch a video on this or something. Cause I'm like, how do you fully recover a spill? It's not like, you know, Play-Doh where you yeah. can just pick it up and plop it in the back of a truck. Or a solid. It's not even yeah. a solid. This is liquid. Yeah. So that's one concern. Excel Energy is the company that runs this plant. And although they stated that the leak had been fully contained, it later goes on to say that roughly one quarter of the spilled tritium has been recovered. So my first question is, where is the rest of it? And exactly how are they recovering these hazardous wastes if it's, one is a liquid, it mm -hmm. is a pure liquid, they're calling it radioactive water. So how are you recovering this water before it gets into the soils, before it, you know, treats the size of the buildings or whatever it's touched is now radioactive? So that's my main question about it. The leak was first discovered in November, but state officials did not notify the public until March. Yeah. So a lot of the people were, were upset about that because they felt like they had a right to know. I personally feel like they had the right to know. There's no reason that it happened in November and they're just not finding out in March. Even if it was contained, it still should be public knowledge that they should know what's going on in their community. Because it could directly affect people's families mm -hmm. if they have children who may have special needs or as far as their health care. And now we have this radioactive substance about the town that could possibly be spreading through the soil or the waters mm -hmm. that could be you know a big effect on people's health so yeah i agree people yeah people should know about these things and because i think about myself when i was a kid i used to be outside making mud pies like i'd be out there just <laughs> messing with the mud and stuff like that you don't know what you're touching like i feel bad for the kids <laughs> so although they stated that the leak poses no dangers to the community, they claim that they will let people know mm. if that ever changes. They're now considering above ground storage tanks to store the contaminated water, and they're also looking at ways to treat, reuse, or dispose of the contaminated water. And I had so many questions about this, because first of all, I'm thinking to myself, they're saying they're going to hold it above ground and it's gonna just be out. So I'm like, what happens if it somehow spills? Like, what if there was a tornado or something? And then it's just like everywhere. And like, you just don't know what, what's gonna happen with that stuff. And then what else did they say? What was the other part of it? To reuse it. They want to yeah. reuse or dispose of it. They're trying to figure out the best way. Yeah, like how do you dispose of something that's radioactive? Like really dispose of it? How are you gonna treat it? It's just, so, it's just a lot coming up. Cause I'm just like, that's what I'm saying. Who's, who's using it? <laughs> Where is this radioactive water going? I don't want the water used in the clothes that we make. No. The bottles that we use and any of the things that are in my home. I would not want retreated radioactive water to be a thing in the ingredients. Like, yeah. It's crazy that that's something we have to think about now. Yeah, like I'm looking at the back of my bottle and it's going to yeah, say radioactive <laughs> retreated water. What? <laughs> and then people try to take that as like, oh, well, that's being environmental because we're trying to, we got to figure something else out. Yeah. I get it that 
these power plants are needed to get the energy flowing to get certain things made so yeah there will be some radioactive waste but we definitely have to come up with better ways to dispose of it i would love to know how they plan to dispose of it like, i really would like to know especially since they're so secretive about like even cleaning it up so like how do y'all dispose of these things and generally sadly enough they usually just j dump it in a body of water yeah it's hidden off in the woods somewhere that nobody really goes through anymore and you know like i said it just runs back into that same problem like yeah this might be a dessert man-made lake but if that soil gets radioactive and it spreads then what <laughs> now the trees are growing with radioactivity and then say for instance you know some animals eat something off the tree mm -hmm. now these animals are at your doorstep biting on you or something you just you don't know. know my mind runs with the yeah. wildest scenarios and in public health that wildest scenario usually comes true yeah. so you just really never know so yeah they it'll be interesting to see Very. what they come up with and if they actually disclose it to the public yeah so as far as nuclear disasters worldwide, two major accidents have had large amounts of radioactive material that were emitted. And the two that usually come to people's mind are, I don't want to butcher these names. Fukushima? Yeah, Fukushima. And, but what's the other one? Chernobyl. I knew that. I was listening to it earlier just so I could make sure I could say it correctly with my southern dialect. Okay, so um, the two major accidents that were that were a large amount of radioactive materials were emitted were Chernobyl in 1986 and then Fukushima in 2011. And they both, uh, well, for the Chernobyl, did I say it right? Chernobyl? Yeah. Okay. So Chernobyl is considered the world's worst nuclear disaster. It occurred April 26, 1986. And it was a sudden surge in power during a reactor system test, which ex resulted in an explosion and a fire. So the wild one about this one was the fact that they knew that this, mm -hmm. this, this um, generator needed to be shut down. They knew that the reactor needed to be, you know, what's the word? It needed routine maintenance. So the fact that they did this large, wide-scale test to see how much maintenance it needed, it, it just sounds like, you know, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but it just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I know my, my house needs rewiring, but let me go play with the breaker box and see, you know, what all comes on. Like, no, you might blow your house up. And this is what happened in the, in the incidents of Chernobyl. They, it was a massive amount of radiation that escaped and spread across the Western Soviet Union and Europe. As a result of the disaster, over 200,000 people were relocated from their homes. Mm -hmm. So the other major nuclear incident was Fukushima, and it was an earthquake and tsunami that struck the eastern part of Japan on March 11, 2011. And the nuclear power plant was hit, and when it did hit, it messed up the reactors in the building, and then from that, the cooling system failed, and it had like hydrogen explosions happen. So when that happened, basically the plant was designed to withstand a certain amount of 
I guess energy being produced at that time and it was it what was designed to handle it wasn't able to withstand the new level that was caused from the tsunami and earthquake hitting the building so this this the Fukushima disaster resulted in nearly half a million residents having to relocate or evacuate the area to not be harmed by the reactors yeah. so it's just crazy to think about you know yeah we have all of these advancements and we have all of this technology but at any time it could backfire and cause harm to our environments or our health altogether so yeah and this happened like in the last well a little bit over the last decade but mm -hmm. it's like it hits home more because you know this this can happen and you just never would know this is the wrap of this episode. Um, <laughs> I hope y'all enjoyed the environmental disaster that we talked about. There's currently still happening. There was one that happened today. We didn't even just we didn't even talk about that. But in Philadelphia, they're having to drink bottled water. So just be on the lookout and be safe, everyone. Um, you can follow our page. The Hood Health Report. You can follow it on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. On YouTube, it's KVE entertainment -E. -E -E is the channel and you can just see the hood health report playlist so you can watch us on youtube mm-hmm and then hood health pod on twitter and hood health report on instagram and everywhere else make sure you like the pages subscribe to the channel comment share repost all of the things Ring the friend, notification. Tell a friend. Ring the bell. Mm-hmm. All of that. That's our. That's it for today. Bye bye. Bye y'all.